Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Did you know there is a way for you to make a difference? How, you may ask? Create your very own backyard habitat garden. A win for you and a win for creatures great and small. You know, with the continued urbanization, now more than ever, imprinting a safe haven for pollinators, birds, and other wildlife is no longer a desire, but rather it's become a need. I, too, am dedicated to the Cary environment, keeping our tree canopy, enlarging our parks and protected areas, composting services, urban garden support. These are all part of what has driven me to run for the Cary Town Council at-large seat in the October 10th election. Yeah, it's coming, it's coming up fast. I want to be the moderate voice on town council, bring back critical thinking, and eliminate polarizing and divisive politics. Let's get back to the business of governing. You can learn more about my platform on environment, affordable housing, intelligent growth, and more by going to my site, Mary. MaryForCarry.com. Pretty simple. MaryForCarry.com. Now, today we are lucky to have with us Dale Batchelor, who will share biodiversity strategies for designing virtual habitats that serve both Mother Nature and Human Nature. Dale, a regular contributor to the Triangle Gardener magazine, is the founder of Gardener by Nature, together with her husband, John Thomas, both of them created Swift Brook Gardens, a native plant habitat recognized by the North Carolina Native Plant Society and certified as a Natural Wildlife Federation Backyard Habitat. Let's welcome her now. Good day, Dale. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. And I'm excited to talk about habitat gardening. So what's the description for habitat gardening? How does it differ? Well, it's not all that different, but it's a landscape where you're really focused on creating um, habitat for birds, bees, uh, native wildlife in general. Um, For folks who think you can welcome in some wildlife and keep others out, um, it doesn't work quite that way. (laughs) Okay. Well, why is there a need for that type of gardening today? Um, Well, from wildlife's point of view, um, anyone certainly living in the Triangle area where I am sees that, you know, every day there's new development, there's less and less open space, farmland. And so more and more, our native wildlife really needs our backyards and our front yards um, to help them make it. 
So I just was reading an article, and this is like kind of way off the topic, but when you say that about um, the wildlife and, and, you know, really all the different creatures we have, there was just a story in the paper about squirrels and how they chew at the wires in the bottom of a car. And the article was explaining they do that because they need to, you know, gnaw on things, chew on things, and Again, with, you know, the urbanization that's going on, some places just don't have a lot of trees anymore right. for them in, to in do that. In my yard, the squirrels have plenty of pine cones and sticks. Yeah. So gratefully, they don't, and we have plenty of squirrels, but they don't bother our wiring. That's great, because I'll tell you, they say, it, you know, anywhere from $200 to thousands of dollars for a fix on that so they, yeah. you know if you don't do it for anything else do it for <laughs> so the squirrels don't don't chew your car something parts. to chew <laughs> um you may have seen also an article in the paper i think just two days ago though from the we covered the wildlife point of view but from the human point of view um you know why do we want habitat gardens and of course in the pandemic people turn, you know, to their yards, but um, research is being done showing that bird song, uh, which is a big part of a habitat garden, is um, showing decreases in depression and anxiety, mm. measurable mm. Um, effects. So that's a benefit for the human side. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about what the cornerstone to one of these types of gardens might be. Well, I, I often tell folks the easy, th great thing about habitat gardening is you can get into it not by doing more, but by doing less. And the single most important thing to do less of is using pesticides and other chemicals. Um, it is possible to have a healthy, functioning garden without those, but there's just nothing that, um, in terms of a pesticide, that only impacts the bugs we don't want. They also impact caterpillars, fireflies, butterflies, you know, those insects, pollinators that we do want. Mm -hmm. Imagine the world without butterflies. I mean, I can't even. <laughs> no, I don't want to. But that really is. That is, that is a huge difference. Um, that was something my husband and I did just because I didn't like the smell of what had been recommended to treat a lace bug on our azaleas. And instead, we focused on getting those azaleas healthy with compost, and the lace bugs went away. Hmm. And again, that also, that was 30-some years ago, but now um, it's been proven. Um, an entomologist named Doug Tallamy has research showing that native plants um, not using pesticides actually creates beneficial insect habitat and, and balances things in a way that pesticides can't. That's very interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, of course, there's got to be some kind of food and water source in these gardens. Well, I mean, a bird bath is the first um, sort of water source that a lot of folks can add, and it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, if folks are more ambitious or want a little more excitement, some of the um, closed circulating fountains, movement um, seems to excite a lot of wildlife, particularly hummingbirds like moving water. 
Um, a little garden pond is another option for water, but that's not really a low maintenance feature. That one's going to take some work. Um, as far as food sources go, um, we do hang a hummingbird feeder or two, and we have a couple of bird feeders because we like to see the birds close up. But really, we focus on having uh, plants in the garden that provide seeds, nuts, fruit. Um, the, the plants we have are the primary food source for wildlife. What would you think of those sources? You know, what would you recommend as one of the better producers? <laughs> well, for for creating habitat for birds, um, anything that is a food source for caterpillars. So anybody who has a single oak tree in their yard, or better yet, a few oak trees, um, then that's probably the number one food source for feeding baby birds. It's the beginning of the life cycle. Most birds, I think 96%, feed their young um, caterpillars. But um, most of our native plants are host for some sort of caterpillar or insect or another. Um, the, the reason is because our plants co-evolved with our insects. So I love my uh, camellias. I have um, both fall and spring camellias because I like seeing flowers in the winter. But those camellias really don't do anything to support wildlife. Um, so to really have a habitat garden, you'd like to have 70% of your plants be native plants. Mm. But the other 30% can be any non-invasive plant you enjoy. So is a habitat garden more costly than having a regular garden? I would say not in the long run. Um, if you want a low-maintenance habitat garden, you're going to be planting perhaps more densely than, uh, say, a traditional flower bed might be planted. So that would be more cost up front, but it would be a lot less in maintenance. Um, the same thing when you convert an area of lawn, say, to a tree and shrub uh, planting that invites natives, um, that's, you know, your installation is going to be the expense, but in the long run, it's not going to be the expense that mowing and maintaining that lawn was week in and week out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So so what would be some tips to keeping these uh, costs down? Like, is there better times to buy, sales times? What are the options there? Well, um, the best time to plant is really in fall, and that's especially true when you're planting trees and shrubs. Um, perennials, of course, if you can find them in the fall, that's a good time to plant them, but... Um, you know, garden centers, folks, most of the plants, it's a, you know, people are still get their minds on gardening in the spring. So that's when there's abundance. But really, it's fine to plant um, perennials um, in the early spring. With climate getting warmer, um, we used to plant, oh, into June. But we really like to plant even perennials in the spring so that their roots can get established. Um, but that being said, just making sure that you're um, 
starting with a good, healthy plant and that you're putting it in the right place. So it pays to do some research and put your plant where it's going to be happy, maybe not just because that's where you want to look at that particular plant. I know, that's, that's a struggle <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. place, right plant, yeah. that, that's still true in habitat gardening, especially I, true in habitat gardening. It's, I have a, you know, a window in my office and I just want to see everybody. There's, you know, it's, there's just no, sh- there's just no uh, shade there. So I have to be careful what kind of plants we put in there. But yeah, um, well, yeah. I'm looking out my north side window office and I'm looking at lots of native ferns and uh, beautiful yellow trilliums. So. Mm. Um, you know, and, and when we talk a little bit about all these benefits, beauty has to be one of them. It does. Um, and and I, 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 I'm a native plant enthusiast, but sometimes we, um, we can lose sight of the fact that, it, that habitats, if it's a home landscape, it has to be pleasing to the humans who live there, mm-hmm. and it has to meet their needs. Um, yeah, I want these gardens to last for the wildlife, and the best way to have that happen is if it makes the humans happy mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I've heard uh, sometimes people are put off by them because they can look a little wild. Um, and HOAs are, mm-hmm. you know, um, often not very amenable, and I'm afraid that in some cases it's because they've seen areas, you know, labeled this is a native garden. And it looks messy. It can be wild and not messy. Um, you know, one rule of of order is is neat edges. You can have sort of a chaotic border if it's you know framed with a nice little low stone wall or or something else. So there are ways to create order <laughs> even with wildness. Mm-hmm. So I do want to go into what you consider just kind of walk our audience through your maybe six steps for creating a sustainable habitat garden. And maybe if you can elaborate on each one a little bit. Well, I, I, I think I, I've, I've uh, started off with the main one, which really is to eliminate the use of pesticides. And that's primarily insecticides, but, Chemical fertilizers are a problem. Um, we all are aware of runoff and algae blooms and waterways. And, you know, most plants don't really need that much fertilizer. A nice layer of compost or leaf mold once a year uh, certainly takes care of native plant needs. Um, so that's the first. Um, there are alternatives for um Killing weeds, for instance, we use uh, 20, an organic 20% vinegar. Uh, this isn't your household vinegar, but it does kill um, annual weeds particularly. Um, but it's, you treat it very respectfully like a pesticide. Um, I mentioned a goal of 70% of um, plants being native. So if you... Uh, have a lawn, if the lawn is 90% of your yard, you're going to have a hard time um, having a habitat garden. But you might be able to reduce your lawn to the amount you need for the dogs or the kids 
and consider adding some trees or shrubs. Um, and then um, less, we mentioned untidiness, <laughs> but, but you don't do quite as much tidying up in a native garden. That's going to sound um, good to a lot of people. <laughs> you know, if you have a stand of trees, let the leaves fall underneath them. You know, that would be their mulch in nature. You don't need to have your leaves blown to the street and then have mulch brought in. Um, a lot of our native insects overwinter in leaf litter. Uh, butterflies. We have morning cloak butterflies I sometimes see in the very late winter. Um, if you don't have some leaf litter, um, there isn't a place for those guys to, to winter over. The same with native bees. Need some just kind of bare dirt. So if there's an area, not everybody can do that, um, but those who can, um, that really helps. Um, a lot of folks in a typical, you know, subdivision or ha or older neighborhood have a lot of tall canopy trees so probably their oaks their maples you know folks are further along to that 70 percent goal of natives than they might think they are but if they think about adding more native shrubs and perennials um i think i'm down to number four now <laughs> um and another thing that's becoming an issue in urban gardens in particular is um, trying to hold the rainwater that runs off your roof mm -hmm. on your property. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, the landscape standard was to send it to the street or send it to next door if nobody was living <laughs> there yet. Um, and so uh, we've run into a lot of folks who are having terrible problems with, with runoff. And so a rain garden um, is probably the biggest uh, response to that. I know City of Raleigh, I believe, has some reimbursement programs um, to help folks if they're willing to, to make that kind of investment. Of course, that's sort of the the high, the do a lot mm. <laughs> native landscape. You certainly don't have to do all that. You know, if you have a perpetually wet area in your yard, you can do some research and find a native shrub. There's um, Sweet Betsy, um, which is um, Calicanthus, Florida, is a plant that likes a wet area um, and takes some shade too. That's that research that you talked about <laughs> earlier too. Yeah, and I'm glad research is key. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about the uh, about Raleigh because there's a lot of towns, and and, and if you take the time again, it comes down to research to contact your local uh, city or town, they may also have either a uh, oh at least maybe a reduction in the cost of of rain barrels or. Yeah. Uh, some kind of rebate or something like that. Rain barrels are great. <clears throat> they do, though, people always are amazed at how quickly they fill up. Um, so sometimes even if you have a rain barrel, you're going to need to think about where that overflow water is going to go and, and try to make use of that. There's a native that I especially love, cardinal flower, um, that. I just don't have a spot that's really moist enough 
to succeed with it. And now I've found that it's put itself where my air conditioning unit drains. It's just a nice little moist spot. Mm. And now I have a beautiful cardinal flower there. Wow, wonderful. um, I like easy solutions. (laughs) Yeah, don't we all? (laughs) The easier, the better. Well, I just can't thank you enough for being here. This has been very insightful, and I'm sure it's going to help a lot of folks roll up their sleeves and get in the dirt. And uh, in addition to to myself and my audience thanking you for for your help with this, I'm sure the birds, the bees, and the pollinators are very grateful, too. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was just fabulous, and um, I'm sorry we're out of time because I'm sure she could speak to all kinds of questions that may still be out there. But for now, it's time to high-five and say goodbye. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today's pocket, protect our environment.